What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian Little Bitches Down Under, a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Okay, so this is Helen uh, from Asian Bitches Down Under. Uh, this is a very exciting opportunity for us to chat with Matt Shu, the founder of Obscure Orchestra and the winner of the 2020 and 2022 Queensland Music Award. Uh, it is our absolute honor to speak to you today. So, without further ado, uh, we would like to welcome Matt. Yay! It's a pleasure Yay. to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, firstly, we would like you to introduce yourself, you know, your background, uh, let us know about your family, education, qualification. It's not the word that I like to use, but a lot of agents (laughs) that they would like to know your qualifications and where you're about base. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Let us know about your childhood as well, because we know that you grew up in Brisbane. So what's your childhood like? Yeah, like, okay. So yeah, I grew up in Brisbane, um, also known as Mianjin. I grew up in a suburb called Sunnybank. My parents immigrated to Australia from Taiwan a year before I was born. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah. So I was born in Australia in a in a suburb called Cooper's Plains, which is kind of like a working class suburb just on the outskirts of Sunnybank, which is a really like Asian, like where a lot of Asian immigrants mm-hmm. settled when they got to Australia in Brisbane. Uh, a lot of Taiwanese folk, a lot of like um, Hong Kong. Yeah, initially, yeah. And now it's just like all different kinds of Asian cultures there and the, the food is wonderful. Um, so I grew up there, you know, so like in a, yes, a very Asian neighbourhood, but also in the wider context of, you know, white Australia um, with a dominant white sort of culture. And a lot of, a lot of what I did growing up was like received a lot of, you know, bits of racism or just like little hints that like, oh, people that look like me that sound like my parents aren't welcome here. So unconsciously or consciously, you know, tried to make my accent or, you know, my behavior fit in with the Australian standard as, as much as possible. And with while growing up, um, yeah, I had a lot of multicultural friends, um, you know, people from like South America, Japan, um, India, South Asia, um, all over. But as I got to high school, I kind of really felt the need to try and fit in as much as I could with like, you know, distancing myself from my Asianness mm. because there's this whole stereotype of like, oh, Asians are just studious and kind of boring and, you know, just grow up and become pharmacists or lawyers or something like that. And they're not particularly creative or have, you know, tons of fun. So I really rebelled from, from that. Skateboarding, shaved my head, um, <laughs> didn't want to wear shoes out in public, just trying to be as bogan as possible. 
listening to a lot of punk and metal music, a lot of Rage Against the Machine. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I genuinely love that stuff, but I think a lot of it was kind of like camouflaging and covering mm. the Asian-ness of, mm -hmm. of myself. So just trying to be the, the least Asian Asian someone could meet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then only later in life did I realize um, like this was just internalized racism, like this, what I was doing, sort of like covering my Asian-ness kind of burying it and music was a big part of that journey through every stage through trying to fit in with whiteness through overcoming that and like being really proud of being Taiwanese um so I started playing trumpet when I was in grade five um as a 10 year old and just in primary school and that carried through into into high school but the thing is I wasn't particularly a good trumpet player I'm like kind of a shit musician um so if you meet any like it's funny that I'm sitting here at the conservatorium because these are like world-class music music musician students but I was always like this really mediocre second or third trumpet kind of player so it's weird that I've like gotten these skills to compose music and create multi-layered music that is one of these awards because I really don't have musical training past high school I just have like playing in a punk band for 10 years training <laughs> yeah and I'm curious to know, Matt, how, why did you pick up the trumpet? Um, there was, there was a, a day at school where it was like they had all these different instruments and they were just kind of like testing it with students. Like, are your arms long enough to play trombone? Mm -hmm. um, you know, is your temperament matching like playing cello or something? And for whatever reason, just honestly, just luck, they had me try a French horn. Mm -hmm. and I could make a sound and they're like okay uh, a brass horn instrument would fit and they gave me a few options and I was like trumpet sounds fun trumpet sounds cool um, so I just chose trumpet on a whim not really thinking that it'll become such a big part of my future mm. yeah. I'm curious to know um, about your parents decision moving to Australia because mm. Jess and I we moved to Australia. I, well, we, uh, when our family moved to Australia, I was already ten. Yeah. And what, what about your family? As in, mm. they decided to move to Australia before you were born. What was yeah. the, What was the I don't know the idea came from? Did you ever ask your parents? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so it was in '85 that they moved over, mm -hmm. um, and I think Taiwan had a bit of political upheaval around that mm -hmm. time it was like this tension between sort of students versus the government which was pretty like although democratic unlike you know china it was there was still a lot of like top-down power going on so yeah, there's a lot of authority and, yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah um which is way better now um mm -hmm. anyway yeah they from that but also my dad's oldest sister or older sister um had sort of like moved to australia and married a, a bricky uh, and she was just like it, this is this place is great you should come and they i guess you know for better opportunities or something just on a on a big leap of faith came to australia mm, yeah. interesting yeah. um so speaking of music i want to know that why music apart from that your luck that you picked up the uh the trumpet and started mm. in primary school what yeah. lead you to the career of music did you do did you consider anything else 
other I, sort of career paths, or has your mm. like your parents kind of <laughs> you know a lot of Asian parents were kind of suggested, oh, you should go down down that path because yeah. it makes a stable life. Yeah, why music for you? I music has always been a huge part of my life, even as a child. Like I've always had a really strong reaction to listening to music.、Mm -hmm. um, I remember my my parents avidly loved music. My dad, especially, he had, you know, your bookshelf behind you.、Um, he's got like wall to wall just CDs and cassette tapes of music from all different countries. Like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, film soundtracks, everything. So as I grew up, dad would always be playing music, and mum would play like Taiwanese pop songs and stuff. So I had this like immersion into music even since I was like zero. Mum、mm. would play me music in the womb, stuff like that. Um, but I, I distinctly remember watching like a Studio Ghibli film. It was Princess Mononoke,、mm. and like I, the movie hadn't even really started yet. It was just the opening titles, but the the music was so、um, emotional that、mm. I I just like felt these goosebumps and maybe I I think like internally cried a bit at how beautiful the the music was. Um, so yeah, music music was always huge, and I've always sort of attached my identity to music. Yeah, like as a nine ten year old listening to Regurgitator,、um, Kwan Yeoman's and Benny Lai's band it was like ah,、oh, seeing an Asian guy be the frontman of a band like an indie band、mm -hmm. um, really kind of like made me think ah,、oh, I don't actually have to be a doctor or a lawyer.、Um, like a, I'm not. Interested in that stuff? B, I'm probably not smart enough for that kind of thing.、Um, and C, like I love music, so I remember fairly early on, at least towards the end of primary school, thinking, "Man, I would love to become a composer one day."、Um, in the same way that kids think, I'd like to be an astronaut. Like it's not it's not very serious, but it's kind of like a a, a wish sort of thing.、Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I didn't particularly pursue that once I left uni. Um, I didn't study music in in tertiary education. I studied. I did study creative industries, but not music. Yeah. So, well, what did you study in your、um, tertiary in in at uni apart from creative industry? What's the major that you?、Um, it was media and communications.、Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah, which is nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with music.、Um, my biggest influence in my, I guess, my music career、mm -hmm. was joining a. A folk punk band called the Moldy Lovers.、Mm -hmm. When I was twenty-five, twenty-four、um, or twenty-five, yeah, I got to a point where I was working, doing like, you know, communications, marketing jobs,、mm. and just being like, "Is this, is this it? Is this what life is? Like,、mm. do I just do this and then I get married or something one day and then I die?"、Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, "No, I, I really need, I really need some. Like, there's something that's missing." Mm -hmm. um, and I always remembered the、um, that sort of like feeling of goosebumps playing in an ensemble in high school,、mm -hmm. just playing in like the you know the jazz band or the, the orchestra or something.、Um, and so I was like, ah,、oh, you know, music is what's missing in my life. So in the same week, I went and tried out for a community brass band in Sunnybank. Mm -hmm. um, and I also went for a drum lesson in West End and saw a flyer for the Moldy Lovers. This what was just like a high school duo of these two like alternative weirdo kids.
who who liked music from the eighties and yeah and stuff, post punk music, and just took a flyer and said, yeah, I'll try it, try out for this. Mm-hmm. And then I met Louis and Jade um, later that week and brought my trumpet to their place in West End and um, joined the band and have been was in the band for ten years um, up until twenty twenty when we all sort of finished up. Um, but that was the biggest influence in my life. And I think I, I wrote somewhere that instead of being a classically trained composer, I'm a mm-hmm. punk trained composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably like the, the easiest way to describe my musical history, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very different for, because a lot of Asian parents that they aspire their kids when they, when they're young, mm. the first instrument they will start is, very conventionally piano violin my kids did violin and flute and yeah um because of the influence of the whole community doesn't it with the asian Mm. community mostly i even jess (laughs) she played um, violin as well um that's so interesting to me because it i think it goes a bit beyond just the asian community but the way Mm. asian cultures see europe as this almost pinnacle of like Mm. um fanciness Mm-hmm. for lack of a better word like they see you know oh symphony orchestras and playing piano and violin is like this <laughs> very fan or like france just the concept of like fancy yeah. mm-hmm. france or something um as this like pinnacle of culture and society mm-hmm. um in almost this sort of self-deprecating like oh yeah we're really proud to be asian but we see what Europe is doing and it's themed so fancy. But this is an imagined thing. It's not real. It's like this cultural imaginary of what like Europe is like, which is divorced from the reality of it. And I think a symptom of colonization mm-hmm. because the colonial project is all about, yeah, our way is the best way. Your way is shit. So it's like speak English and don't wear like your traditional Asian clothes, wear suits, button up shirts. Um, and that's why countries in Asia, everyone's wearing button-up T-shirts, which we don't question and think is weird. Mm-hmm. But, like, had there not been colonial influence, people in Japan would still be wearing, like, kimonos and yukatas and stuff in mm-hmm. their day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I think, um, like you said, the internalized racism that we probably all experience, you know, mm. growing up in Asia or growing up in Western countries, um, we both experience that as well. Yeah. Um, it is very hard to get rid of it because um, I think we're, we're just trying to fit in. I think as a kid when we were growing mm. up, we're just trying to fit in and also our parents as well. It's something that... I guess even now a lot of Asians do aspire to that it's like a social ladder to reach, you know, yeah. proximity to the whiteness. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, if we, if we like play their game and reach the top of it, we're not just fancy as Asian people, we're fancy as Asian and pseudo-white people. It's like this, yeah, pseudo, becoming pseudo-white seems to be some sort of pinnacle that we, we aim for. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to that, like, you know, piano and violin are the fancy European instruments. Um, and then uh, and then parents look down and stuff like drum kit and, mm. you know, punk and rock instruments and stuff. It's like, oh, no, don't play that. Play the fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I find that hilarious. And the, there's sort of like a layer of elitism or something, yes. but, but layered with colonialism. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not like play Erhu or play sitar. It's like 
play the Western fancy instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's why I see that、um, like the new, the, you know, upcoming generations、mm. of Asians, like yourself and some of the musicians that we know, they're actually、mm. really bringing out. The unique identity, for example, for us that are Asians, and I've seen some Middle Eastern instruments that are being performed in, say, in Sydney Opera House. Now it's becoming a little bit more. It's not really prevalent, but、yeah. it's we are getting some of it now slowly. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this comes to what we want to talk about: your orchestra, obscure orchestra. So.、Mm-hmm. How did you come about the name, and how did you establish? What's the process of how all this come about? Yeah. Sure, sure. Um. So, okay. So, like that band I was talking about that I was playing in, the Moldy、mm-hmm. Lovers. While I was playing in that band, I got to tour. I got to like travel interstate. I got to tour Japan, and um, through that whole process. I like got to experiment or borrow people's instruments. Like, oh, Louis, can I borrow your accordion and just try some stuff out and see what it's like? And、um, Jade, could I borrow your banjo, Layli? Can I? Could I borrow your double bass?、Um, I don't know how to play any of these instruments, but I was just playing around with them. And then I found like I got to a point where I could get the knack, like the the gist of、mm-hmm. the skills involved with that instrument. And it was like, oh, I don't want to get To professional level, but I, it's fun to know how it works,、mm-hmm. yeah, and be able to make a, a a good sound from it. So yeah, after just experimenting with all these different instruments, I started thinking like, okay, well, what else can make sounds? Like、mm-hmm. maybe this rock that I picked off the ground, and if I tap them together, went to the kitchen and started like, oh, these spoons and chopsticks. If I hit plates with them, what kind of sounds do they make?、Um, so it it went beyond traditional instruments, but just objects. Or like a, a saw that you buy from Bunnings. I saw that people in the old days would get violin bows and make this like、mm. sound with it, and I, and I would try that. So, with all this like learning all these music musical instruments and experimenting with them, I decided like, oh, okay. So I play in a band, and a band is all about like you contributing one layer of sound to to the group. But um. What would happen if I just created all the sounds myself, every single layer? So I started like with just、um, what's it called, GarageBand on my laptop and and one microphone that I borrowed from a friend, just like layering different instrument layers and object layers、um, and seeing what it sounds like. And I got really excited because it's like, wow, this is this is purely what like I sound like. This is purely everything from my mind brought about from my hands. This is what Matthew sounds like. So I started doing more of these experiments, just these little like object music experiments, and got confident enough to start performing them with a loop pedal. So it's like this pedal where you can stack on sound live,、mm-hmm. and it became a sort of comedy show where I would anyway. It, there's a video on YouTube that you can watch. Eventually, I started like people. Got interested and was like, "Hey, do you want to come play at a thing? There's this little concert happening or this gig in West End. Come and come and play." And I was thinking about like, if I just use my name Matt Shu and people see that on a on Facebook or like on a poster or something, they're not going to have any idea what that sounds like. It's going like, "Oh, Matt Shu is that like a guitar singer songwriter guy? Is it a I don't know." Just some guy who's gonna play piano and <laughs> sing some songs, and I was like, no, I don't. I, I want people to get an idea about what kind of music I make immediately from hearing the name.
Um, so with it just being myself, I decided on Matt Shrew's Obscure Orchestra. Sounds kind of interesting because it kind of contains the idea that like I play a lot of instruments, mm -hmm. but not in a traditional or classical way. I sort of, it's like an experiment with objects and, and all this stuff. And it was also a kind of joke because it's like, it's just me. There's no orchestra. It's just an orchestra of one person. And then over the years, as it, like I did a TED talk performing with those instruments and I did a, a thing at Big Sound, which is like a, a music event. But doing those shows became really, really anxiety inducing for me because I not only had to like pack my tiny car with all these instruments, like a double bass and all this, mm -hmm. like tons, an accordion, bunch you of like everything yourself. Yeah. 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 I had to memorize, like re-memorize everything I played on every single instrument mm -hmm. and then perform it again um, and not screw up the timing. And I, it just, it, I was so nervous doing that. And I would always screw some little thing up that I just decided, all right, look, I, if I'm going to perform these songs properly, um, I'm going to need some people to play it with. And then the idea of like the obscure orchestra becoming an actual orchestra was born. And I started sort of reaching out to friends and my networks and musicians that I really respect and fun people doing experimental stuff in my community and bringing them all together to become obscure orchestra. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. What is the Brisbane music scene like, Matt? Oh, good question. It's, um, you know, it's probably not too different to Sydney or Melbourne. It's just just a, a bit smaller in population. There are pockets of really, really interesting musicians doing a lot of like cool stuff, like people from the African diaspora making really interesting like alternative hip hop, or like experimental musicians that are really like young, like, you know, in their early 20s and late teens that are like doing really interesting things with found objects and non-linear sounds and non-melodic sounds and stuff. But the stuff that we hear on radio, um, in, in mainstream radio, still happens to be, you know, the same kind of stuff you hear on Triple J, which is, you know, just like techno and pop and stuff. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just tends to be like a lot of musicians that are white dudes with guitars. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Who went to private schools. Who went to private schools. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So at the, at, and, and if you look at a festival poster, it's those white dudes with guitars that are always at the top in the biggest font. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, the young, you know, person of color who's doing some really interesting music just, just down at the bottom in, in the tiny font. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing that I think about when I talk about Mianja music, because it's like, yes, we have the mainstream stuff. Um, and when I say mainstream, I mean like indie rock. Like I don't think of that as alternative mm. <laughs> whatsoever because um, it's, it, it's what has been popular in Australian music for like 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's the really, there's, there's so much interesting stuff happening. It just doesn't have the attention from mainstream record labels and venues and sort of music I guess, gatekeepers that those mm. <laughs> white dudes with guitars do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. And yeah. it's it takes time, I guess. It, it really takes time to, you know, change that environment. I mean, what you're doing now is fantastic and mm. we need more 
people like you, um, probably more Asian, you know, people with Asian backgrounds as well to give them an option, I guess, you know, because a lot of, um, before we started our interview, you said that you, how much you you really don't like classical music and how how we, you know, a a lot of, still a lot of families that doesn't see um, that there are alternatives yeah in, you know pursuing music path career wise mm-hmm. i guess um a lot of musicians if they're not performing another path is teaching <laughs> yeah 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 it comes down to teaching but um i think creativity is something that we really want to emphasize here that mm. it is possible like yeah. what you're doing now you know an award winner as well it's yeah. possible it's a brilliant thing to do um so i, I want to talk about um kind of like your identity and maybe pol- politics and music um yeah. the advocacy i've seen that there is uh, a collaboration that you've done recently with a grammy nominated tibetan musician Yep. Is that right? Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with, um, I think the name was Tenzin Chogol. Yeah, yeah. Tenzin Chogol, yeah. Yeah, Ten- Tenzin is this world-class musician who's worked with, you know, composers that uh, have been in the, like, the film industry and the experimental music industry, like Philip Glass, like mm-hmm. people who've done soundtracks for massive Hollywood films. And he's sort of, work with them. I met Tenzin in a ramen store called Tara's Ramen here in Brisbane. <laughs> um, he was eating lunch with some Buddhist monks. And I was like, that's Tenzin Chogol. I've seen him at um, Woodford Folk Festival, which is this festival that we have here. Um, and I've seen him for years and years and years. And there's this thing on New Year's Eve where he performs um, this very special concert where you go up to the top of a hill at 5 a.m., 4 through 4 a.m., and just sort of like half sleep until you until you hear these monks make these like yeah these these sort of like chant sounds mm-hmm. these beautiful chant sounds and then just as the sun rises across the like the hillside horizon you see these monks and the music gets more and more beautiful and intense and tends and sort of leading it with this beautiful like Tibetan style vocal and an instrument called the dranyan. Um, and I've been watching this for years, right? Um, and then I see him right in front of me at, at um, Tara's Ramen. And so I just, like, after I introduce myself, he's like, ah, oh, sit down, let's have a chat. Like, tell me about yourself. And I tell him about my music and stuff. And he's like, let's work together. Uh, and so we did. We wrote a song together called Every Step is a Horizon. And since then, he's just been always so generously involved in the Obscure Orchestra, performing with us devising new sort of um, songs and performances we can do. And we recently played uh, an event called Festival of Tibet, which mm-hmm. he is the director of at um, Brisbane Powerhouse. Um, so yeah, he's, he's now become an integral part of the orchestra essentially. Uh, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, and as for advocacy and um, I feel it because I grew up sort of feeling like I was on the margins of the dominant white culture of Australia, I find it really important to sort of uplift and support other marginalized voices around me. So that's why that's why the Obscure Orchestra collaborates and co-creates with a lot of people of like gender diverse artists, 
people of trans and non-binary backgrounds and identities, First Nations artists, Indigenous Australian artists, refugee musicians, people from immigrant backgrounds, yeah, uh, and, and people living with disability. So yeah, diversity and uplifting marginal identities is really important to me. And I, I think part of the DNA of Obscure Orchestra. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's so important, especially that you give them the platform to present themselves. Whereas, yeah. I mean, in the past, it's very difficult for marginalized communities to do, have a voice, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and sorry, and, and the intermix between like those different cultures and those different like musical sensibilities becomes mm -hmm. something really, really beautiful when it when it comes together. It's like unexpected, but like incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, see, you're a winner of the Queensland Music Award. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the journey of reaching that position? Um, so how, how does it work, the Queensland Music Award? I, I'm not quite familiar with how it works. I, I honestly have no idea. It was kind of like, <laughs> it was honestly so unexpected. I, um, like, the, the thing is, no one really knows about obscure orchestra that that i feel like you know like i don't feel like it's a very mainstream well-known thing um and yet yeah it's weird that to me that it's won these awards so i guess just having played music in my city for you know 10 years as a moldy lover and creating those connections with people and then starting obscure orchestra sort of five years into the moldy lovers and then I don't know, just, yeah, being part of community. I don't know. I just, I just submitted my song into the awards mm -hmm. and then got nominated and then it won. And then it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know how else to explain it. It's just like, it's always a shock to me thinking about it because like I, I can't picture someone going out for a jog or a bike ride or a drive and like, yeah, let's put on some obscure orchestra. Like, I can't fathom that but I guess it's happening. Mm -hmm. You're too humble, I think. <laughs> it's something that Asians do, I don't know. It's, I, yeah. every time I, I think that, oh, you're, you're so good at something. And then we, we kind of tell us that, oh, I'm not quite sure how, how I got to that, but yeah, you know, yeah. it must be all the hard work. You must have put in a lot of effort to know that, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So what's next for Obscure Orchestra? Oh, um... I am currently writing a, sh a song about being hungry. It's the working title is um, "Eat the World, So Hungry." <laughs> I don't know which which it'll be one of those two. It'll be either I'm uh, so hungry or eat the world. One of those will be the title. Um, and it's so I my doctor recently told me that I have a fatty liver, um, so I can't eat fatty foods anymore, and that's my favorite kind of food. Potato <laughs> chips, fried chicken, ramen. Um, so I wrote that song because I just really miss eating delicious, unhealthy food. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which is which is really fun for me because I've been writing songs about you know social advocacy and stuff mm -hmm. like that these past few years, and it's just fun to write a song about nothing essentially. Um, yeah, just as a little mental break. Mm. Um, we also have a couple of shows coming up. The the State Library here in um, Queensland um, is having its 120th birthday, mm -hmm. um, which is amazing. And they've invited the Obscure Orchestra to do a performance there. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to do a second line sort of roving 
orchestra to the stage and then play the set. So it'll be like a marching band style thing and a proper concert. Oh, that's so um, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's this um, concert called Songs of um, Hope and Healing at QPAC. QPAC is like, QPAC is where my parents would take me to, to watch the biggest, the, the performing arts complex. It's like where if, uh, I don't know, like the biggest theatre productions like Shrek or well, Shrek's such a bad example, but like, <laughs> I don't know, um, Hamilton. If Hamilton were to come to, to Australia or to Brisbane, it would be showing there sort of thing. So um, it's incredible to be performing in this place that my parents took me to as a kid as this like big place of reverence and like, wow, the biggest concerts happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's happening in June and, and a few more concerts after that um, that we're really excited about. Uh, yeah. Mostly it's just taking care of the Obscure Orchestra family. I really love the 20 people that I play with um, and I'm just always making sure everyone's okay, everyone's happy, everyone's like emotionally taken care of, mm-hmm. just checking in with all of them because uh, they're really beautiful people and I, I, I really love them. Oh, that's so great. I feel mm. like it's almost it's like a family for you, isn't it, your orchestra? Yeah, I call them, I, I, they... They call me their mum, <laughs> not their dad, because I don't have dad energy, but I do have that mum energy, whatever that means. Oh, Maybe that's so like cute. A nurturing or something. <laughs> must be, must be, yeah. yeah. Um, how's your Taiwanese culture connect with your music uh, making? One of the video that I saw that I really like, um, mm. I was like, oh, amongst the neighborhood. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah I yeah. really, really like that one where you yeah. incorporate like rap and this Chinese lyrics as well. How yeah. about your Chinese? It's oh. okay. It's like I didn't grow up in Taiwan, so I don't didn't have the opportunity to speak Mandarin in a in a Mandarin speaking environment. But mm-hmm. I I can say stuff like, Oh, I'm gonna go to the shops, I'm gonna have this for lunch, I'm hungry. Um, yeah. So did I, you I go to a Chinese school, Matt? I did on Saturday, on Saturday mornings, <laughs> nine, to, nine to noon. Yeah, did, that's it. Did, yeah. No, we went to, we went to the association school. Oh, okay. Yeah, we went to yeah. the Chinese one for a couple of years and then I continue with the states run Chinese school. Right. Yeah. Right. But it is, it, it's, it's quite interesting, I think, especially for the Asians grow up in Australia. It's, yeah. It's a struggle, I think. I must admit, it, it must be a struggle, I think, for Jess and I, her other siblings. It's, oh, man. It's just really I, I, get, I got kept down the grade three times. I never oh. left grade three. Yeah. And I was there until I was like 14 <laughs> <laughs> or something, 13 or 14. Yeah. Did you go with siblings? Do you have siblings, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I have um, an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. And my little sister overtook me in Chinese school. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's six years younger than me. <laughs> yeah. So how's the how's the connection with the, your Taiwanese mm. culture uh, with your music making? What do you think? Well, because for so long it was severed. Because for so long I wanted to distance myself from my Asianness. This is felt like a, a sort of like an urgency to rediscover um, mm. Mm. my culture. Yeah, and that's a big part of that has been these creative projects working with. Um, Taiwanese artists so the first collaboration I did I think it was 2017 or 18 was a song I'm really really proud of it's one of my favorites of my own um, called Make Everything 
and it's it's a song about making things for the fun of it not for any sort of fame or like money or reward but just making it because you want to make great stuff mm. um and on a trip to taiwan i go every 10 years and on the trip to taiwan in 2017 i came across this artist duo this couple called loopy and they make these really cute like these really cute cartoon sort of um, characters that they put on t-shirts and um, bags and all this stuff um, and i just really love their aesthetic and their energy they're like a really cute couple on instagram and yeah and so i messaged them once i got back to got back to australia because i didn't actually get to meet them in person and i was like hey um i saw your shop i really love what you two are doing i'm writing this song would you like to sing a verse in that song mm-hmm. and they said yes and i i asked them to to sing it in taiyu which is taiwanese rather mm-hmm. than chinese because i think that distinction is important and i think mm-hmm. like yeah like it with recent stuff and politics and stuff it's like t- taiwanese culture is kind of at risk like tibetan culture mm. has was at risk yeah. yeah and hong kong culture yeah mm-hmm. um and so yeah uh, music has been a way of me reconnecting with my taiwanese roots especially through working with taiwanese artists through that song with loopy and also this song um welcome to the neighborhood mm-hmm. um with uh chunyan lao mo and Caitlin, Caitlin, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love that song. I think you should yeah. play like in almost every event for Taiwanese diaspora. <laughs> it's, it's so I cute. would, yeah, yeah, and so nice. It, it reminds you that there's a mixture of like traditionalness mm. in that um, NTV in that music video, and yeah. then also you know the the very modern hip hop kind of vibe that yeah. you know the singers brought out yeah so it's yeah. really really nice yeah. i'm really proud of it yeah and like the little infusions of like traditional instruments yes. like the guitar player and mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah, yeah. Really indigenous taiwanese spoken word I, yeah it's great yeah. yeah um so where can our listeners find your music apart from for all the queenslanders that has the opportunity to go to brisbane and participate in your events um mm. We have listeners like all over the world. So, what, where, what kind of channels do you have that we can access? Your work? I think the easiest way is to go straight to YouTube and type in Matt Shrew's Obscure Orchestra, or just Obscure Orchestra because it's easy to spell. Everyone misspells my last name Shrew. It's H S U rather than S H U. I don't know why. <laughs> Taiwanese thing. Um, anyway, yeah, just type in Obscure Orchestra into YouTube. Um, all my music videos are there. A couple of live concerts I recorded are there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. What else? I'm on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, all the streaming. Just yeah, just l- literally just type in Machu or Obscure Orchestra into your search Google <laughs> to see what comes up. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Get on to it, everyone. Um, actually, I do have a final question. My daughter, yeah. when I was telling her that I'm going to uh, interview a musician this week, mm. she said, Oh, can you ask him, does he play the flute? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do play the flute. I, my friend gave me a flute about uh, what, 12, 12, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And I just started like fooling around with it. Oh, and before so that, uh-huh. yeah. Before that, I bought a Japanese flute called a shakuhachi, which is this bamboo, a bamboo 
pipe, like a, basically. Yeah, the, the pulse. recorder. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, that's the like one of the hardest flute type instruments you could you can play.、Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. I almost passed out playing it. I'd like try and try and play it, and I'd do it on the bed. So if I did pass out, I just like because <laughs> I got I got so lightheaded. Wait, wait, why, why do you pass out? Do you need a lot of air? Yeah, you need so much air.、Oh, it takes up so much oxygen because、right. half, half your air is you're not actually in contact with anything with your mouth.、Oh. Not like a trumpet where there's a, a closed seal.、Mm-hmm. So you're just blowing half the air out into the world and half the air into the instrument. The instrument. So there's a lot of air wastage,、um, but that's what makes it so breathy and beautiful.、Um, but because because I, for some reason, learnt the hardest woodwind instrument. Then playing flute wasn't so bad once、mm. I got around to it.、Mm. Yeah,、cool. it's just yeah, it's that thing of like I just want to try instruments.、Um, I just love it. Yeah, that's a good thing to know that you know you try other things and、mm. you make it into a creative side.、Um, yeah. Yes. Do you have any other questions? Does your daughter play flute? Is that why you are? Yeah, she plays flute. She just yeah, started yeah. last year. She's oh, good on her. I'm not saying that she's really into it because you know she's nigh, and you have to constantly tell her to practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think she's got more of a creative side. That's why I, I want to kind of push her onto the creative side rather than the usual practice. You know, with all the classical music instruments, is like a constant practice, and you. Do the things that people done a hundred hundreds of years ago. So、yeah. it's nothing really new, unless that you have a really、uh, different or unique interpretation of music. But、yeah. I think creativity is really what m- makes humanity progress. Yeah, I、mm. fully agree. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's enjoyable when it's difficult, but when she starts getting better at it and starts finding some joy in playing and and like. I think the best thing to do is to give her music of like soundtracks or songs that she likes.、Mm-hmm. Like if she really likes Moana, like、mm-hmm. get her the music from Moana, and she'll love playing the songs from、mm-hmm. Moana. Because yeah, it's like I'm making the music from the thing I like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's very true. Yeah, Jess, Eddie. Yeah, no,、uh, it's been such an it's been such a pleasure, Matt, speaking with you. And I'd really encourage our listeners to hop on to Matt's official website, the、um, Obscure Orchestra, because when I looked through, it, I was just like, this is what music should be. It should be playful, right? Like, yeah, you you bring so much energy and playfulness. Um, just and you can see that on the website. It's so colorful. Thank you. Yeah,、um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I forgot to mention. I just I just updated the website just、uh, two days ago. There's some more stuff on there now, but it it features the cut like the illustrations by Loopy, the people that I wrote make everything. Oh,、here. amazing! Yeah, and that's that first really colorful like、um, me in a lake floating around animation that you see. Yeah. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a pleasure chatting with you both. Yeah, thank、really、you、nice. so much, Matt. Yeah. yeah, hopefully you guys can tour Sydney. Very yes, of course. Yeah, be so cool.、Oh, yeah, great. Thank you.、Yeah. Thank you. Let's stay in touch and、um, have a good day. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs>